Welcome to the We Are SC podcast, Monday morning cornerback. This is Eric McKinney, joined, uh, as always, by Daryl Rideau. Daryl, we're going to talk about uh, the Oregon game. I don't, I don't even know if you can call it the USC game. Uh, they, they certainly, over the last, you know, two and a half quarters, it was just one team playing football uh, on Saturday night. Oregon comes into the Coliseum and beats USC 56 to 24. And really the numbers that you take away are 56 to seven. That was the run that Oregon went on. They had the ball uh, three times to start the game, didn't score, then had the ball eight times, scored eight touchdowns and included in there is an interception return for a touchdown and a kickoff return for a touchdown. For me, the biggest takeaway is a the domination but b doing it with a lot of southern california kids where we've seen recruiting specifically these last couple years and you thought boy those are some guys you know mikhail wright the guy who uh, who returns the kickoff for a touchdown certainly came on thibodeau the defensive end who eventually got a sack but was kind of in the backfield uh all night uh diamondor lenore ends up with an interception that there are guys sort of all over from Southern California. And I think that's one of the reasons it got a little bit chippy at times too. A lot of these are kids coming home and and really sort of pumped up to do exactly what they did against USC. This was the what's your deal game, Jim Harbaugh and Stanford, when they ran up and went for too late and got to 55 uh, against USC. This was shades of that. Um, we'll, we'll go into maybe some specifics from the game, but, but I'm curious from you, just a couple days now to take a look back. Well, what are you taking away from this game, kind of big picture um, that, that stands out for you? You know, and I, I keep reflecting back on how I felt in the Coliseum as I watched fans in droves, at least hundreds of, you know, if not tens of thousands of fans leaving the Coliseum before the fourth quarter which I had never experienced that before, okay? And I keep thinking as a former player, putting myself in the room, in the locker room, the night before the game, when they were told, when USC, uh, the coaching staff, explained to these players that we have the ultimate game plan that's going to A, limit uh, Justin Herbert's effectability or efficiency as a quarterback, at least for the first half of the game. He ended up with, what, he went 21 of 26 for 225 yards, three touchdowns and an interception. You like the way they started. And if you told me C.J. Verdell was not going to be the impact player that he was the previous week against Washington State, I would have liked USC's chances. But just as the, the, the great Mike Tyson once said, everybody has a game plan until you get punched in the mouth. And in this case, USC's game plan went right out the door the moment Oregon counterpunched back. And for me, Eric, I just keep thinking of how this coaching staff let, the, let their team down, let these players down by at, at the very least not giving any consideration or thought about how they wanted to approach the last 20 seconds of the second quarter right before halftime when after USC scores, they find themselves down 21 to 17 you have a chance to perhaps either squib kick it or just just tackle um, the uh, the kick returner in bounds and watch Oregon concede into the locker room with a lot more questions than answered in terms of how they're feeling. But, but lo and behold, 
you give up a, a kick return that you would like to have back, and that just changed the whole dynamics of the game. You talked about from that point on, a 56-7 run. Boy, it, shortly, it, it certainly felt like an avalanche, and USC just had no answers to come back once Oregon got going. Yeah, the, the kickoff return right there at the end of the second half, that, that's going to stand out just because that's, that's a coaching decision to, to kick it deep there. And, and I understand, um, you know, our guys are going to make the play. You tackle them and it's over. I think with, you know, the, there's a certain amount of time left on the clock where it sort of mandates you squib it. You know, if, if Oregon has the yep. ball – with 20 seconds left and they say they get it at their own 35 and instead of the, the 25, they're not pushing that. They're not, they're not pushing with 20 seconds left from their own 35. And I think you look back, you know, at, at numbers, Clay Helton on his Sunday media call talked about how he has, you know, ultimate faith in John Baxter and, and the kickoff coverage unit to, to do a good job and to make that play. One team, I, I, again, we're taking that, that 100-yard return is obviously, you know, included now in these numbers. Everything Oregon did on returns included now in these numbers. But if you look at, at kick coverage numbers right now, there's one team in the country that has given up more kickoff return yards than USC this year. That's Louisville. And they've, given, they've done that on seven more returns than USC has had to defend against, even without mm -hmm. that 100-yard return. USC would still be the ninth worst when it comes to, to giving up kickoff return yards. So this is not a unit that flies down there and stops everyone at the 15 at the 20 yard line. I mean, this is a unit where, uh, you know, kicker Alex Stadhouse has had to make a number of tackles this year to save even bigger returns. So, so I think looking at it in that context, that kind of opens your eyes even wider to that just be, you know, Clay Elton talks about, you know, we, we made a full speed decision. We, we let, you know, it, on USC's returns, they, they have opted not to instruct Bayless Jones to, to fair catch a lot of kicks, even outside the end zone where now you can take it uh, at the right. 25 on a, on a fair catch whenever. And we've seen field position all year really skew towards the opponent. The opposition, yeah. Because, hey, of, these, because of these numbers. And Eric, and, that, and that's what I'm talking about. When you think about this program, where they stand right now, and you think about the role that Clay Helton has, has now positioned himself to take, he is the CEO of this program, has no responsibilities on calling plays, has no responsibilities on calling defensive plays. You leave that to Graham Harrell, offensive coordinator, Clancy Pendergast on the defensive side which leaves the details of the game, these situations for him to execute as the chief executive officer of this program. It is solely Clay Heldon's responsibility to make sure that his team is well aware of what those situations are. And yeah, you might have 100% confidence in John Baxter, but even John Baxter sometimes has to be reminded because you've taken his duties and you've, you've diluted those duties. He's now coaching tight ends. In addition to coaching tight ends, he's also responsible for the majority of special teams. So because of all of those extra factors, you now have to make sure that you're seeing the football field the same way he is. And when you talk about a guy like Bayless Jones giving him the green light to come out and be aggressive, 
Well, there's a time for that and there's a time, like you said, to take advantage of the rules as they're implemented and put your team in the best position because statistics of you scoring go greater or higher up the further removed you are from the 20 yard line. And so you have to think about get, possessing the ball on the 25 yard line is one less first down that you now have to obtain. But it's, it's those little details that continue to chip away and erode this program to the point where you start to look up and, well, yeah, you like to isolate one kick, but it's never just one kick. It's one kick in an episode of many minor details that impact this program and prevent it from being as good as it can be. Because to a man on the field in that first half, you talked about many of the Oregon players being from Southern California, and we can make the argument that under normal circumstances, many of those players wouldn't be leaving Southern California, would actually be playing at USC if they felt like the program was heading in the right direction. But to a, to a man from an athletic standpoint, it certainly wasn't a disparity between the speed and quickness of Oregon and the speed and quickness of USC. What it boiled down to was one team had a decisive understanding of where their program was and, and, and under duress, there was no panic. Despite there were times throughout the game, as you can recall, Eric, where um, cooler heads might've prevailed or could have prevailed that caused at least the ejection of two out of three players. I say two out of three because Isaiah Polamalu, I thought, made a fundamental tackle, but due to the head, um, the concussion, um, the head injuries and concussion protocols nowadays, officials are always going to err on the side of caution, and because there was a little head-to-head -head collision, he was ejected. But when I talk about just the the um, the the, two, the other two ejections, those were truly felt like football-related of Oregon, and as a result of that, a lot of talented production was off the field. But that just kind of gave you a sense of after two years removed that there's still bad blood and, and discernment between these two programs, if not for any other reason than the fact that many of these guys in Southern California either played against each other, played with each other, or just quite frankly were um, recruited over the next. So you know, I, I'd love to see more Oregon SC, but right now, the disparity between where these two programs are, one is deservingly so in the top 10, the other is a head scratcher in USC. Yeah, I, the, looking back specifically at the game and what happened, I, I think it's fair to say USC came out with a game plan to stop Oregon, talking about USC's defense against Oregon's offense. Boy, those first three drives were incredibly impressive from the USC defense. It felt like once Oregon got moving, and you mentioned the ejection to Isaiah Polamalu, that seemed like a, a real turning point. You had that, the ejection plus the penalty, a penalty on the next play, that kind of kick-started Oregon. But, but my question to you as a, as a defensive guy, you heard, about the, you heard the players say we were confident in the game plan. We knew we could do it. And they, they were asked after the game a lot, you know, what changed, what happened, and nobody could really point to an answer. It, it was a lot of, uh, you know, we didn't do our assignments or, we, you know, that, that sort of thing. And it just, again, it feels like, it, and you alluded, alluded to it a little bit, where are the, are the players getting the right answers from the coach? I, I understand sort of coach speak directed to the media, where it's, 
you know, we're not going to give anything away. Um, you know, we, you, you could always tell yeah. when a coach that there's absolutely times where they want to sort of gloss over something and they don't want to get into specifics and that stuff with media. And that's fine. I get it. But it feels like at times the players aren't getting the answers, aren't getting the right answers yep. when they come out sort of loss after loss and, and a loss like this. And they sort of are saying, oh, you know, we just needed to execute. We, you know, we're just this, this little bit away. We just have to tweak this and this. No. This didn't, it's, I mean, but, again, there's Aaron, a Aaron, it's, the it's beyond, itself. it's beyond just correcting your assignments and your leverage. When you go up against Oregon and you have that, the ideal game plan um, that is very effective, at least for the first three or four possessions and gets you within striking range in the first half. But then you fail to recognize that Oregon will make subtle adjustments. And what were those subtle adjustments? We saw more screens. We saw more movement in their offense, something that we didn't see when Herbert was um, in the middle of the field in the pocket and USC sent pressure up the A-gaps. When they sent pressure up the A-gaps and they took away his, um, his initial middle reads, you saw frustration with Justin Herbert. But once they start sliding that pocket and they started uh, making those subtle adjustments and rotating their own personnel, we didn't see those same counter adjustments being made by USC. Instead, they remained in man coverage. They remained in obvious um, uh, formations, which allowed for, for Oregon to whatever they adjustments they made at halftime show true to form in the second half because they got those same looks and reads. And another thing that I would argue is if you have a somewhat healthy Vivai Malapai, why did it take a blowout before we saw him truly rotating in um, in the uh, in the game where his presence alone and the tenacity by which he plays with it, the aggressiveness next to uh, Kanai uh, Mauga, who I thought you could have rotated them in and out a little bit more effectively so that you get better production. Sorry, you're, out you're, of talking your EA. you're, ta you're talking EA. You're talking EA, not Ote Ote. Yeah, I'm sorry, Ote Ote. Yes. 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 Okay, um, him and Kanai. Kanai started over him, but in the second half, when the, the, the score was well underhand by Oregon, we saw EA in the game. That confused me. If, if he is truly someone that you were counting on next to John Houston, when healthy, as one of your starters, and he's healthy enough to play in the second half during garbage time, then why wasn't he healthy enough to be accounted for in the scheme and, and utilize his strength in production when the, when, the, when the game mattered? It's little things like that. Sometimes you could have the right defense but have the wrong personnel. And as a result of that, your guys will just flat out get outflanked. But my, my problem is you lose a guy like Isaiah Palomaro and you don't recognize the significance or importance of that leadership there. And, and when you start rotating others in there, you feel like they lost some of the, its luster because of, of Isaiah's um, ability to get himself and others lined up and in the right reads. I thought that he was playing brilliant and was probably on par to, to really like have an impact game beyond the interception and beyond some of the high production plays, I thought in the second half, they could have used his experience, knowledge, and also his talent to overcome some of the mistakes that, that reared its head that they were unable to capitalize on. Yeah, and it felt like the defense, again, 
for as much as they wanted to say, you know, we came out, we had a great game plan. It, it fell apart and it fell apart in a big way. And I, and I get it. It's, you know, this is one of those things where Clay Helton is, it, he came into this season. I, I think everybody sort of understands kind of coaching for his job and boy was, has he been dealt sort of a, a rough hand with that. I, I think there's absolutely no debate that he has made some decisions and done things, whether it was in the off season or during the season that have made it a lot harder on himself, but he's playing a, a big chunk of that Oregon game without his two starting safeties, without his best defensive end in true freshman uh, Drake Jackson. And, and with a hobbled, you know, linebacker unit, you, you haven't had Jordan Isefa all season. EA is obviously, you know, dinged at, at, to some extent. And then Greg Johnson, your starter at nickel, he has to leave the game too. He's in concussion protocol. So, I mean, it, it is, it, it's been tough in terms of injuries. That This has been a rough season. I think when you look at the offensive side of the ball, granted, again, maybe this is one of those decisions that hurt him early on, but Marquis Step, when he is not on the field, you have a, a situation where you get the ball first and goal at the eight-yard line, and you can't just hand it to Marquis Step three times in a row. You have a situation where you're, I believe, second and goal uh, from the three, and you can't just hand it to him for a touchdown. I mean, uh, not having Marquis Step, and again, it sounds a, a little bit, you know, fake, I guess, because this wasn't the game plan going into the season. The game plan going into the season wasn't, hey, let's hammer the ball with Marquis Step. He's our best running back. Let's lean on him. But it did sort of get into that at some point, and then it was just wiped away with that injury against Arizona. Yes. I think that changes what the offense was changing toward a little bit, and I think that is a big blow uh, to this offense. Well, but but Eric, but what I'm hearing you say that. is, is you're talking about the talent itself, and while you you know obviously you recruit to have production like you were getting from Step. You went the whole season virtually without um, uh, Vavai Malapai, okay? And Stephen Carr, just as he started to, to get healthy, you again, you lose him. But if you truly have a system, and a system is a plug and play, then you should be able to get more juice out of these oranges than you're getting now. And that my problem is you're, you're, only, you're not getting enough of that because the details within the system seem to lack seem to lack awareness if you know that you're hobbled then why are you designing 10 personnel one tight end no or one running back no tight end sets and five uh five wide situations when you know you're going up against a team that has a lot of firepower and although USC controlled the time of possession in this game, I don't think that that was really their emphasis going into this. They felt like they had the match wit for wit and, 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 and enter into a shootout with Oregon. And eventually you start shooting blanks when you don't have, you know, all of your, your arsenal or with you. But for me, I'm so happy that a game like this happens because it exposes Everything that a guy like a uh, Marquis Step erases for you, the fact that the system and the scheme designed by Clay Helton isn't authentic. It isn't something that you can take on the road and get the same production that you get at home. So his system 
seems to rely heavily upon hero ball, great athletes, individual performance. And while that may win you games, it's not going to win you championships. And if this program is comfortable and okay with just competing and contending for the Pac-12 South, then God help you. Because I came into this program under a similar type of coach in Paul Hackett, and I saw the difference when Pete Carroll implemented a true system and brought value in by bringing teachers across the board. Name one person on this coaching staff, with the exception of Bram Harrell, that you could see at another program who could potentially become a head coach at some point. I couldn't name one. And I couldn't even tell you what program that Clay Helton would make sense at if he were to lose his job. So that just tells me that for one reason or another, this coaching staff, as constructed, even though it's, it's revamped, there are still too many holes in here for you to truly see the potential of what this team could have been. Yeah, the, the one thing that I want to hit on at Oregon, and then we'll move on uh, beyond that game. The, the play that really stands out to me, I think the one that turned the game, was the, the Keaton Slovis fumble down at, you know, again, we talked about they're, they're snapping the ball at the three-yard line. They end up fumbling. I mean, the, the interception earlier, the one that, that bounced off Drake London's hand, that kind of maybe turned the game uh, literally because then Oregon scores. You know, they hadn't done anything. They take that drive down and score. But when USC fumbles that ball, Clay Helton talked about it uh, on his Sunday media call. And watching it from the press box, Amon Ra St. Brown goes in motion, and he – is standing by himself over on the sideline. He's not in the end zone, but an easy throw to him, he scores. I mean, it doesn't, you know, if he's covered, he's still going to make at least either a guy miss or use his ability, you know, to lean forward and, and get the ball right. over the end zone, over the goal line. Clay Hilton talked about how, oh, you know, he, he was looking for something to go. It looked like he had his fifth option in Amon Ross St. Brown open. <laughs> that to me, that is that is a massive statement of boy, did we make a mistake down there? If you're not going to run the ball at the three yard line, if you're saying we're going to throw the ball, I can't imagine a a good decision is to take Amon Ross St. Brown, your best player, in a limited amount of space, unless you're just throwing up a jump ball uh, to to Vonzer Pittman, but. Even if those are your top two options, right. there are two other options on that play better than getting the ball out wide quickly to Amon Ross St. Brown where he just has to either you know run over a defensive back or get some kind of quick angle. Yep. And we yep. saw Oregon later score a touchdown on that same kind of play, just a quick throw to a guy in Jalen Red who looks a lot like Amon Ross St. Brown. Sure. And, and he's in because it was a quickly designed play that hit fast and and went in I I just that to me stands out as just a a fundamentally poor decision to do that with a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown and I mentioned it during the game too that with this offense where you have those two guys outside and apparently the ability for wide receivers not to make up their own play but to uh -huh. to sort of freelance within the design of the offense, of the play, boy, to me, that feels like an offense where Amon Ross St. Brown can line up against yep. whoever, make whatever move he wants, and catch 100 passes, 
you know, sort of half asleep throughout the season. Right, right, right. And, because and it's just <laughs> his use specifically, and, and I get it. He's had big games. Uh, he's caught passes, certainly. But there are situations where it feels like this could be really easy. And it feels complicated. Like, it feels like Keaton Slovis you know, is having to make a complicated decision. And, and that's what I was going to get to because it did not work out well. Because in a truly, in an offense that truly has great spacing, it understands matchups and it exploits those matchups. And there's only less than a handful of times when you have a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown in the slot where he isn't the better of the two matchups, where he's going up against oftentimes a third corner in the slot. That, that, and you give this guy three directions to go, either straight up the field, inside or out. I take my chances with Amon Ross St. Brown. Or a jailbreak screen with a guy like Michael Pittman Jr. Use his size. If you don't have a running game, try tackling him in the open space. Very, very difficult. But when you talked about Keaton Slovis and the three interceptions and the fumble, well, is, wouldn't you say that that's a byproduct of throwing the ball 57 times? You throw the ball that many times, the, the chances of something wrong happening greatly increase. I don't know many people that win a lot of games throwing with 57 attempts. And granted, he was, you know, 32 of 57, but only 264 yards. That's uh, what stands you know, out to me. The, the yards per attempt, it, that, that number <laughs> – uh, again, you mentioned 57 attempts. By the way, four rushing attempts for Keaton Slovis, too. So chances where he could have thrown more. But like you said, 264 yards. That, that's you, it on that. Yeah, you, you, shave, you shave some of those off, and you figure out ways. I thought that, um, again, you know, um, Keenan Kristen doesn't have the body type, but yet you're still running him in between the A-gaps. When did they ever test the outside? and really threaten the, the edges with him or utilize his skill set out of the backfield, swing passes, little things like that. Um, we didn't see enough of it to give you, to give anyone the impression that if USC had to control one aspect of the game or even give a threat um, of a presence of a running game, that they can commit to it long enough um, with this personnel to, to really force Oregon to have to, load the box up so that they can have those one-on-one matchups that they truly wanted. But uh, again, it, this has little to do with Oregon and just really it's accumulation of the season. And it just takes a team like Oregon, who's a well-oiled machine, got off to a slow start, but shows you what they're capable of doing in less than what, 24 minutes of play? <laughs> cause you know, cause coming out of halftime or 30 minutes of play, I should say coming out of halftime, the, the score was, you know, still close enough, what, 31 to 17 or 30 to 17? 28-17. Um, 28-17, there you go, I'm sorry. And, and they just blew the doors open in this game. So, it, it, again, if we're just looking at where does this program go from here, I, I, I really think that, for me, something telling was normally – Clay Heldon puts his, his blinders on, almost like what you do with the horse at the, um, the Preakness or something. You, you put blinders on the horse as you're, you know, you're trying to get them into, in, into the, the shoot. Well, for after the game, there had to be less than 
maybe 50 SC fans near the, uh, the tunnel end. And one particular turned out to become a heckler. And he was given uh, Clay Helton the business. And for the first time, as I observed, maybe he does it often, I don't know, but he paid attention to those words. And you can tell that those words pierced him when the guy said, you should be fired. You know, you have no business leading this team. And I'm paraphrasing because there were some explicit, uh, explicit uh, words being used. But you can tell that it pierced and it searched. And it should, especially when in the Coliseum, a place that you call home, you give up 50 plus points at home. I don't care who you are. You know, even going back to Pete Carroll, um, when he gave that up against Stanford, you just, it, there's no reason with the amount of athletic talent and, and, and pride that you have that you allow for Oregon to put up those many points at home. You talk about sort of the state of the program, J just running through this really quickly. And I think that the two things that stand out for me, because Clay Helton did stand there the day one of spring ball. And he said his focus this year, what he's responsible for as he gave up uh, control of the offense, turnovers, penalties, discipline, discipline, turnovers. And then he talked about competition too, breeding competition on the practice field. 89th right now USC is in penalties per game, 121st in turnover margin. I get it. You have basically only played with a true freshman quarterback who came in as your number two and uh, a guy in Matt Fink, who's your number three, they've, you've thrown 13 interceptions. There's only two teams that have thrown more than 13 interceptions this year. Wow. I believe two teams with 14 interceptions. That turnover margin, by the way, at minus nine, tied with Western Kentucky there, a, a program that you know you, USC fans have heard a lot about. But looking at the rest of it, you're 90th in, in rushing yards per game, 23rd in passing yards per game, which, again, if that, that's – you know, what, when Washington State sort of sells out and they're going to be that pass-first offense, they don't finish 23rd uh, in the country. And that, so, so overall, you're 42nd in the country in offense with what we have talked about, maybe, a, you know, certainly a top five group of wide receivers uh, yep. in the country. And yes, it's a true freshman quarterback, but a very talented true freshman quarterback and an offensive line that is not youthful that these guys are experienced players uh, along the offensive line that's offensively defensively you're at 87th in the country in pass yards allowed per game 91st in rushing yards per game that's 94th uh, overall in defense I get it the schedule was not easy you don't have kind of some cakewalk teams lined up at the, at the beginning of the season, but this is not a rebuild. This, for, for exactly. Clay Helton, for this staff, I, you know, there were, there's new coaches who came in this offseason, but when Sam Darnold left a couple years ago, you, you did not have like a ground up uh, collapse of the, of the program, or I guess a top-down collapse, where you had to build things from the bottom. Clay Helton has been at USC for a long time, the recruiting has been there. It's not like the, you know, there's all these changes that have caused so many issues throughout the program and all of that. This has been, you know, for, for all the ups and downs on the field, it's been steady in terms of kind of off field 
stuff with USC right now. There's programs that lose, you know, an entire coaching yep. staff and, a, you know, a hundred kids transfer and all that. that. That's a rebuild. This hasn't been. So those numbers stand out even more in sort of how tough a time Clay Helton has had these last two years in getting things together. He likes to mention all the time this program under him won a Rose Bowl, won a Pac-12 championship. Again, it's not like you lost the entire team. Right. Those. You could have built up during those two seasons where last year and this year, yes, you're breaking in a, a true freshman quarterback in JT Daniels last year, but boy, there's programs and elite programs all over the country that break in true freshman quarterbacks, redshirt freshman quarterbacks, and they don't have the drop in all of these numbers that we're mentioning all over the place. And I no, no doubt all... about that. And, and when you hear Clay Hilton, and he doesn't do it all the time, but the times where he feels like he has to kind of defend his, his resume and his body of work, boy, it starts to feel like since that time when Sam Darnold led USC from behind, mind I, I, may I add, from behind in the Rose Bowl against Penn State to – to that victory this program has eroded in in many positions and in particular are we getting the true development out of the quarterback position and it's and it really is it wouldn't be fair for us to just kind of focus on that position because of what they ask of of all three of these quarterbacks that have played and started a game at at that position uh, throughout the year, whether it was JT Daniel, who knows how good this program could have been if, if he were healthy. But if had he had been healthy, we may not have known the potential or the ability of a guy like Keaton Slobos. So that, that position aside, when you think about over the years, the two constants in this program so far, or three, has been John Baxter, who, who primarily leads special teams, Clay Helton, who, still oversees offense, whether he's calling plays or not. Um, I, I'd like to concede that to Graham Harrell now. But then it's Clancy Pendergast. And what you can honestly say is, are these three areas and three phases getting better, or have they gotten better since that, that Rose Bowl birth? And they haven't got anywhere close to reaching their potential. And you can blame that on a number of factors, including injuries, but injuries are a part of the game. You already know what the schedule is, and so you pace for that. The issue that I have with this program at the moment is I don't know if they're truly honest with themselves when things don't go well. Where is the true accountability that, that, that he preached all throughout camp that you were going to hold guys accountable? It's just a lot of inconsistencies, and those inconsistencies do rear their head all at the wrong time. And this is a program that just at this point, they just can't overcome their own mistakes. But lo and behold, all it takes is for a team to be consistent and then the rest of this program self-destructs. So I don't know if you're Clay Helton, you can hang your hat on that uh, the program has improved. When all you did is bring back baseline measures of how you should be practicing and how you should be holding guys accountable but you haven't done anything to exceed baseline expectations. You're just getting more results by simplifying the offense and allegedly simplifying the defense to allow your athletic players to mask a ton of mistakes. And so for me, 
I wonder with this same talent, can you get more out of it if this program were to head in a different direction? And the answer to that, I think, may be coming up sooner than later. I think at this point, the rest of the season, it sort of plays out in two, two uh, I guess, competing storylines. Maybe not competing because they're working uh, at, at the same time. USC is going to go on the road the next two weeks. That has not been a fun thing for USC to do. They, they got that win against Colorado, but, boy, any one of about four or five plays had gone differently, and they're working on a two-game losing streak right now. Going to Arizona State is not going to be easy. The Sun Devils don't look as good as they did maybe earlier in the season, but playing on the road there is going to be tough. Playing at Cal is going to be tough. I, I think it's safe to say, and, and certainly the consensus out there is that that loss was enough where whenever this new USC uh, athletic director and from reports it looks like Cincinnati's Mike Bone uh, will be that guy again and until it's official nothing is official um, but when, whenever USC does get their new athletic director certainly the status of the USC head football coach is going to be right up there at the top of his list if not the number one thing on his list I don't think it will surprise anybody if uh, it, it's not Clay Helton going into the next season when that decision gets made right. how it gets announced all of that sort of is, is still up, up in the air and we'll de we'll definitely be hitting on that uh you, 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 know, you know eric i read something um that just kind of was like a tea leaf for me that usc's last game against is against ucla november 23rd that's a week before thanksgiving it's a saturday you know before thanksgiving right Yes. But on the 24th of November, they're scheduled to have their, their banquet. Yes. Their team banquet. I've never known for them to speed up the timing of that banquet. So for me, it just kind of feels like right after that banquet allows for the new athletic director, if he is uh, announced by, uh, by that time, to evaluate or accumulate an evaluation or make a determination that it's time for me to at least have that interview with Clay Helton, listen to his vision, and, and if, you know, and make whatever determination that's going to be made to be made then. And I'm trying to give Clay the benefit of the doubt because he's still the head coach now. But if I was Clay and I was trying to save my job, I'd fire Clancy now. Okay, <laughs> that's just me. Sure. I would fire Clancy Pendergast now to show that I'm trying to make systemic changes and I'm trying to do whatever it takes to, um, to succeed. Okay. And I don't know if he could do that. If he has a gravitas to do that, to demonstrate that he's making wholesale changes and that he's putting this program, you know, giving this program its best opportunity and sacrificing somebody. Okay. Because there was talks that perhaps Clancy was thinking about retiring anyway. Well, I don't know what the case is, but for me, I look at it from a defensive standpoint, having played on that side of the ball. And when a defense year in and year out struggles to get pressure on the quarterback and struggles to generate um, turnovers through the air by interceptions, that to me means that your system isn't matching the personnel that you have. And for me, that would be enough for me to try to save my own job is to go in a different direction and see if I can get a spark for the last part of the year to at least give the impression, Eric, that I was trying to do something to, to turn this program around. 
And loyalty is going to be one of the I'm right, right at the top, if not number one, the number two reason. Uh, again, if things go as so many expect they do and Clay Elton is relieved uh, of duties as head coach, that, that's going to be a major talking point, whether it's uh, leaving players at, at positions, leaving players at starters, not rotating more, uh, staying with coaches maybe too long, that uh, bringing coaches in that he has that sort of familiarity with maybe if they're not the best uh, selection for that spot. That, that's something that has come up over and over and over. Boy, would it surprise me if he went and made a move like that at this point, sort of in, in the season, in his tenure, all of that. But I, it, I think, you know, the idea of what you're saying is right. We saw this last offseason. He really tried to swing for the fences, bringing in assistant coaches. Things obviously didn't work out with Cliff Kingsbury when he goes. Uh, he, he's the offensive coordinator at USC right. for, uh, I believe, like 33 days, just a little over a month. Uh, then he takes the head coaching job with Arizona uh, in the NFL. But that he was trying to change so much in such a small window, and, and it just didn't allow, I think, for enough to be changed, or his, his vision wasn't grand enough in what really yep. needed to be changed. If, if he couldn't really sit down and point to all the areas that that program needed to change from last year, I, I think we're seeing sort of a, a culmination of that and all of those things kind of coming together. This was not a two-month quick off-season couple tinkers no. fix uh, of what was wrong with the program at the end of last year. I do think, again, there, there's talent on the roster, and this team played hard right up until at, at some point, whether it was that kickoff return or whether it was just some point in that second half against Oregon, things clicked off and we're going to get a sense against Arizona state. If they can turn it back on again and bounce back, like absolutely like they have this season, I think you have to credit the team for how they have kept playing through the, you know, the, the injuries and the losses and all, all right. of that stuff. But I, I think it's, you know, fairly safe to, to call it too little too late in terms of getting this program under Clay Helton moving quickly in a direction that you want it to. So again, that's going to be something that I think gets a ton of time, uh, a ton of ink, a ton of photos, whatever it is, a ton of press uh, over the next few weeks. I, I think that's kind of the, the only unanswered question left is when that decision comes because well, I, well, I, you know, you know what's eerie really about this game though, <laughs> is there was a, what, a few years back, uh, maybe almost uh, 10 years ago, it feels like nowadays um, when Lane Kiffin had an embarrassing loss in Arizona state and was fired. Yeah. And, and how he was fired. Wasn't it on the tarmac, I believe sure. of the, at the airport. Sure. Um, I, I do feel like that clay late this bed and they're going to allow him to, finish the season, but he better have a better showing on the road because he scaped, he, he barely got out with the victory against Colorado. Right. Okay. And Arizona state to me feels like a, a team that, yeah, they're, they're, they're not quite where they want to be a bit, man, they played in some big games this year. If you go back to Michigan state and this is a team that's not going to quit. Right. And if they smell blood in the water with USC, I, I just think that this is a team that's capable of trying to pounce on you. 
and um, and wait for you to self-destruct if they don't do so first. Because Arizona State, much like USC, can be combustible at times, but you just you get a sense that you like the leadership there and the direction that they're building. That is truly a program that is building up, where USC feels like it's starting to it, it has been eroding. So um, I'm interested to see which USC team shows up. The one that gave um, Oregon all that it could handle in the first half and finally takes that kind of a uh, performance on the road or one that starts to feel sorry for themselves and, and starts to really look around and say, man, the guys that I started this season with are still injured in street clothes and, and, and really start to question, you know, the, the game plan and whether or not they have enough to contend. If they start thinking like that, it's going to be a long night for the Trojans. But let's hope that the fight that they've shown all season is that type of resilience that they can take on the road to finally start, you know, racking up additional victories on the road against meaningful opponents. Yeah, I think it would take something pretty drastic for Clay Helton not to finish uh, at, le at least the regular season. I don't anticipate Utah losing one of their next three games, which means if, if Utah wins out, USC can't. Uh, go to the Pac-12 championship game. That being said, you know, certainly not taking UCLA into account. I don't know if there's another Pac-12 roster, and that includes Oregon, that includes Cal, full of guys who are from Southern California and would love to finish USC season. I don't know if there's a roster in the Pac-12 more than Arizona State's with guys right. who absolutely this weekend would love just like Oregon's had a ton of players coming back to Southern California and wanting to make that statement. USC is going to get a big performance from Arizona state. Everybody gets up for USC. There are a few rosters as they're composed right now with kind of star players and, and where they're built and where they're from. Arizona state has some guys that would, like I mentioned, would love to really kind of finish <laughs> off USC's season and put, a, a, another nail in that yep. coffin for the 2019 season. So that, that no I think, is going to be something to watch as we go forward. Again, this Oregon game, I think, gave us some answers as far as the future of uh, the USC head coaching position. When that happens, how that happens, I, I think is still up in the air. Personally, I thought that, that Clay Helton, even with how the season had gone, if they come out and make a big statement against Oregon, if they run the table, if they beat Oregon again, I did think that, that he had a chance uh, to, to stay on and, and really make a statement as, as they finish this season. I think that loss to Oregon and, and how it happened, yep. I, think, I think it makes it an easier decision once it comes time to make that decision. But again, that, that is all to play out. We will see how USC responds on the field at Arizona State, an afternoon game uh, out there in, in Arizona on Saturday. So for, for Daryl Rideau, this is Eric McKinney. Thanks for listening to the We Are SC podcast, Monday Morning Cornerback.